Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother, Michael, to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. Today, we're doing a halfway point recap of the story so far, so we'll be getting deep into those topics. The only spoilers beyond those chapters will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show from a decade ago. How's it going, Michael? You know, it goes pretty well, Dan. Pretty freaking well. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, we, we took a week off there, so it's been a little bit, but I'm excited to get into this and, and see where your head's at on some stuff. We're, we're stopping off here at a really good point to have this conversation because we're getting a lot of the King of Landing intrigue going. I think you've got some pieces milling about in your head. I want to see how you're putting them together, and then uh, we'll dive into the second half of this book. You know, I enjoyed the week off, but I thought I'd take this time to really like review the chapters and get even deeper insights. And I did review the chapters, but I'm still frustrated to not know who else <laughs> Aria heard uh, from our last episode that we were uh, that we were talking about. So I'm I'm excited to go through this and kind of catch up, but I'm excited to keep reading more too. So take yeah. us away. Where where are we going here? All right, so so we're going to start off, uh, just go character by character here uh, in different locations and go through what people have been up to and what you're thinking about that. And I figure we'll start off with the standalone part of our story here, Daenerys across the Narrow Sea in Essos. Her story so far, just as a, a brief recap of where we've been with her, uh, started off in Pentos, where they were staying with Magister Illyrio, her and her brother. She was married to call Drogo at a big ceremony, and they were joined by Sir Jorah Mormont, who is a Westerosi exile, who is has signed on to the Targaryens across the sea. Uh, and then they started traveling with call Drogo towards Vase Dothrak, which is the city that the Dothraki have. Uh, and, and on the way, she's really grown into herself, become more of her own person. Meanwhile, Viserys, her brother, has really been falling apart, and she's kind of taking control over that relationship. She's been one of my favorite storylines, by the way, and I know it's so random because so much of like the intrigue of the story is happening across the ocean, sort of the sea or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. just not where she is. But like, there's been this awesome development over time. It's sort of been revealed to us slowly throughout the chapters happening in Westeros about there is concern from that side and the king and the king's party about the implications of this Targaryen, you know, marrying a Dothraki, you know, getting pregnant. And this isn't, you know, the story of Daenerys started around this, like, you know, around her brother Viserys saying, you know, with his hubris and basically being kind of a clown character. And it's yeah. fun to sort of see this mature into the threat that it could potentially be. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing her maturity too has been very interesting. We've kind of been watching her, like I was saying, come into mm -hmm. her own and really start to assimilate with the Dothraki and, and find her strength through these people. We've seen her relationship with Khal Drogo really strengthen in that sense, uh, as well as her relationship with her surroundings there. And that contrast between her and Viserys, where he is having so much trouble fitting in and accepting that he needs to change anything about himself mm -hmm. and is backfiring very hard on him. Um, some of that growth that we've seen from her as well is really corresponding with the general motif in her chapters between her and Viserys of the dragon. And we've been seeing a bunch of dreams that she has uh, involving dragons, meeting dragons, and experiencing that surrounding her. But I, I think that that's also just a, a great example of something that we see all the time back home in Westeros, where people really take on the avatar of their sigil. 
And so mm -hmm. we kind of see her tied to the seven kingdoms in that sense, which is something that I always enjoy as well. I like that. Yeah, it's a uh, talk about the dragon as motif, and it's it's fascinating to see how like the 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 relationship between these symbols and their actual beings. We saw it with the dire wolves, with the Stark family and family crest. You know, we're seeing it with Daenerys and Targaryen and 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 dragons and the fact that the dragon's skulls and bones still live in Westeros in the castle. And I don't know, just fascinating to see the sort of reality, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So really the most exciting thing that we have going on with Daenerys right now is happening in the storyline across the sea, which is we're seeing these plots going mm -hmm. on about her. And King Robert in particular wants to kill her. Uh, we're seeing messages getting carried to Varys uh, and him passing those along and then kind of setting those plots in motion. So, I, I mean, what's your thoughts there? Obviously, I assume you don't expect Danny to die here, but, you know, is this going to be like Littlefinger was saying, if somebody's going to botch it and it's going to put her on guard, how is this going to play out in Essos? Well, you know, I, I know that we're going to take the conversation further towards Westeros and, and towards what's happening politically around the kingdom. So uh, obviously stop me if I'm, if I'm getting like too far ahead in this conversation. But okay. Go the most fascinating part of the Daenerys story is how those in King's Landing are thinking of approaching her, you know, and so we have, you know, we have the king, we have King Robert turning around and saying, you need to murder her now, nip this in the bud. We have Littlefinger, we have, well, basically the other side of Ned Stark saying, there's no way that I'm okay with this. We can't kill kids. We can't kill women. And she happens to be both right now. Uh, and then you also have what we continue to see, not just about the Targaryens, but across the board, which is these weird like political intrigue through somebody like Littlefinger. Why is Littlefinger helping Stark out a little bit here? Or is he? Why is it, you know, less of the, the what is it, the faceless men or the faceless assassins or something, right. uh, you know, less professional, yeah. you know, and rather, you know, do this broad call, which he himself, Littlefinger says, is like not you know, is meant to be a way to avoid like kind of assassinating her. I kind of wonder from taking one step away from the actual book for a second, like the literal pages of this book, mm -hmm. but from a high level political point of view, I bet this is something that happens all the time where the opportunity to strike hard and early kind of a window opens up and there's a lot of questions about, well, is this has a value right now or should, is this worthwhile or ethical right now? Only for sure enough, a decade later, the problem is the problem and and here it is and i'm not trying to like make a political comment as much as like this strikes me as very real like a real type of situation to happen politically quite often and so yeah. i i i feel very i don't want to say confused about the way it's being addressed like in king's landing as much as like i i get the like i don't think there's a lot of clarity about motives right now the king's motive is clear right you know little fingers less so uh starks you know, clear, but kind of on the basic side. So I don't, I don't see anything coming out of what we've experienced so far affecting Daenerys from what I've seen so far. Like, I don't think there's going to be any firm action against her. So you don't think there will even be an assassination attempt? I think there will be to the extent that Littlefinger has defined it, right? Like, yeah, right. any so like Tom, Dick and Harry can like right. go and try to pursue this, but it's not it's not a dedicated frontal attack. It's not a, or in this case, like backwards attack, you know, from the back. Uh, also, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's okay, what I know. That makes, that makes total sense. We also saw uh, last time around conversation that Arya overheard mm -hmm. where Illyria was in King's Landing. And this actually immediately preceded 
the, the small council meeting about assassinating Daenerys. They were back to back on chapters. So what's what's Illyrio up to here? Is he working against Danny behind the scenes? Is he working for her? Uh, was he bringing these messages, I guess, is kind of the question I have here. What what are your vibes on him? I mean, the sense is, is that, like, and I think we've touched on this a few times, like, throughout our conversation since we started the books. But, like, I don't think that Illyrio has a side as much as he's looking for his personal gain. Mm-hmm. I don't find anything about him to be a devoted Targaryen, you know, follower. I think he's an opportunist and a businessman. And I think that the opportunity that he sees is one to, you know, and I'm I'm being broad about this because I don't I haven't heard him speak about it specifically but the opportunity is you know to be buddies with a new king to have a coup come through and you know overthrow what's there now replace it with a in this case young child who he's done many favors for uh you know and I think that like I think he's excited to support Daenerys but not publicly and not at any threat to himself yeah Okay, that makes sense. And I guess there's also the possibility that, you know, he came to Westeros to share information, have these conversations about, you know, needing uh, the war to hold off and and trying to uh, put that plot in motion. But it's always possible the person he was talking to also, you know, provided that information to Varys or Varys overheard the conversation or anything along those lines that that could contribute to how uh, maybe that timeline worked out. Yeah, and I'll add too that, it's not it, one of the things that does have me still scratching my head is what brought Illyrio. Why the why why in the world is Illyrio in King's Landing to begin with? And I know you're just touching on it, right? Like the the potentials of it, but it just never crossed my mind when we were seeing Illyrio with the with with Daenerys with Viserys. You know, having you know even during the wedding and things, it never crossed my mind that he had any reason to head to King's Landing. I wonder if there's a if there's a role that he plays that is something besides what we understand him as so far. So maybe, you know, I'm going to make it up. Right. But like, like maybe he's a Senator of some kind, like maybe oh. he's playing things in different. Oh, is he? We do. Do you have... we, no, we know a little bit about him. So he is a magister in Pentos, which is part of their government. Mm-hmm. And he's also a very rich merchant. So I could absolutely see him having, you know, some excuse to be in King's Landing, whether it's business related or politics related. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that would be the core reason, or maybe he's there. Or maybe that is the core reason. And he's also using the opportunity to speak to his people. Uh, but, you know, there, there are plenty of reasons why he might go across the sea. Pentos is right on the water also. So they're, right. they're directly across the narrow sea from each other, uh, pretty much, which makes Wait, but does that mean that, that Viserys and Daenerys were not terribly far from from King's Landing when they were hanging out with with Illyria? I think that's right. Let me me pull up a quick map. Pull up a map. Like, let's see what's going on. So I don't get this wrong here. Um, And and while you're doing that, I'll also just add, like, I don't, I didn't find it unbelievable that he was in King's Landing. Part of me wonders if there's a greater role that he's playing that puts him there as a political player more than I know of. Maybe not. Maybe he just happens to be there and this is a conversation Arya overheard and through Arya we heard it as well. But yeah, you know, like like part of me was just curious, like, huh, does does Illyrio go to you know what's funny is it reminded me of that character from Andor, the TV show that we haven't talked about. Uh but uh oh I don't remember his name. He was the merchant that basically like has a shop like near uh, the Senate. Yeah, Luthan. 
Luther, the, uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård character. Exactly, and so and what so that's what it made me think of when I saw uh, Illyrio here in King's Landing is like maybe he does have a shop set up here. Maybe he is playing this as a deeper character. Maybe not. I've got no reason yeah. to think that. Maybe he's just there for fun and you know for the for the tournament or whatever. And I do think it's totally plausible that he would yeah. have contacts there in a real reason. But yeah, so the map I have the map here. Yeah, Pentos is actually of the various free cities, the nine free cities. It's the closest. To King's Landing. Mm, so you okay. have the narrow sea, which is quite narrow. So I know you're not going to pull this map up yourself, but King's Landing and Pentos are really east-west directly across it from each other, about as close as you can get. Uh, and then there are a couple of the other free cities that are also on that coast, one farther north, Bravos, and one further south, which is Tyrosh, and then the rest of them kind of further inland. Not a hundred percent, but we don't need to get sure, it. sure, sure. Regardless, yeah, it's it, they were pretty close by, like that, and they have gone much, much further away now. Daenerys and Viserys are well far to the east on their trip to the Dothraki. Interesting. I'll add too, you know, as we're talking about the the Targaryens here and Viserys and Daenerys, is that something that I've really liked through their story is that so much of Game of Thrones so far, this book so far, has to do with lineage and you know, families and and descendants of families and who deserves what and all of this. And something I really like about these characters is that, you know, Viserys wants so badly to embody the Targaryen bloodline and so much of his beliefs in politics, but we're just watching him become smaller and smaller as a character. Daenerys is the new face of this bloodline, without a doubt to me. Uh, And it's just interesting to see that, like, even though this is the same family moving forward, it's definitely an interesting change in dynamic of how Viserys would think about it and even Daenerys. Uh, And so just just fun to see that happen. I mean, we haven't gotten a huge amount about the Targaryen dynasty so far, but we do have a couple of names and some kind of broad sweeping ideas about them. And it's interesting that you say that because we have Aegon the Conqueror, for instance, who, you know, however many years ago came and conquered the seven kingdoms and uh and and really took over and is this big charismatic i don't know maybe making that up but this leader this military leader but we also have the mad king uh mm-hmm. you know the mad king was not a successful leader he got overthrown in a rebellion we know that he was committing murders left and right and kind of doing whatever he wanted and so from that perspective it seems like viserys kind of fits in with the family history uh he has this image of the great family history that he's trying to live up to, which seems to be somewhat true and rooted in their history. And he also seems to be living up to this kind of crazy side of his father uh, and crazy, paranoid, you know, less successful side. I know there was mention at one point that the Targaryens really like to like inbreed, basically, yes. that they it, was there conversation at all saying that, like, that's what led to the madness, like all this inbreeding led to them just being crazy people or is it unrelated a bit? I I don't think we've heard that, but it certainly seems possible. Okay. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. So uh, the last thing I just wanted to say about Danny, which goes perfectly with what we were just talking about, but as a good transition out is one of the other things that's really nice about her chapters is we get a, a foreign perspective on the characters in Westeros. These are people who do not Mm. see Robert's rebellion as heroic, uh, who's, you know, Ned is described as one of the usurper's dogs and Robert Mm. is the usurper. And and when they talk about Jaime the Kingslayer, they really mean it. You know, the, the, the murder of babies, of Rhaegar's babies and all of these things that happened there. And it's one of those themes that we talked about way back when in our, our opening episode 
uh, that I just want to come back to here, which is the power of stories and the stories within, mm. within this book, but also the stories that people are telling and the perspective that they're bringing to it. On the one hand, we have, you know, you can, you can think of, you can imagine Bran hearing from his father, ask his father to tell him about the battle at the trident and the glory of beating Rhaegar and all of that. Mm-hmm. And that is their perspective. That's the Stark and Lannister and Baratheon view. And then you have the Targaryen view, which is this was a horrible rebellion that killed their family and murdered innocents, uh, which is is always a great history written by the victors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, the stories that we tell. You know, I'll, I, I do want to add, by the way, just before we move away from the Targaryens and, and the Daenerys storyline, something that, that also strikes me a little bit that I'm not confused about, but curious about. After the last chap, the last Arya chapter and where she gets to overhear uh, uh, Illyrio yeah. and our mystery character kind of talk about some political intentions and, and underhanded dealings that might be going on behind the scenes. Uh, the, you know, a lot of what they're talking about is this sort of desire and need. These two characters, Illyrio and, and mystery character, desire and need for, uh, you know, th- this. And I can't remember what is straight from the book and what's just my memory of how I thought about it. But like ready for Daenerys and the Dothraki to come in and start to like bring this war to a head. The thing that I'm curious about is that Daenerys, who is becoming the lead Targaryen in her role doesn't seem to have any real issue, need, or desire to go back and become king of the seven, you know, queen of the seven kingdoms. It's Viserys that has that sort of like, you know, tick up his butt or whatever. Uh, and, and you know, Khal Drogo doesn't seem to really care for that either. I wonder... Khal Drogo certainly isn't interested. We saw for the first time in Danny's last chapter mm-hmm. a mention of home, of going home and of of sweeping the kingdoms and uh mm. specifically the contrast between her thinking of the red keep as home a place right. where she never lived and has never seen versus that first chapter of hers where she was thinking of, of the house the place with the, the red door, door. Uh, the yeah red door, yes uh and uh and i think that that is a big sign of her growth that maybe as we continue moving forward there will be mm. various reasons that prompt her push her in that direction of trying to take up that mm. uh that maybe that like she kind of tastes what it means to be queen of the of the Dothraki a little bit and says, wow, I really, I am a great queen. Yeah. I do deserve my throne. There's definitely some tension there with Khal Drogo, who has his own life and right. his own world. And we, right. we have Viserys just kind of needling him about, you know, you have to pay the price for marrying my sister. Um, and so all of that is is kind of simmering on the stove as well. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. So I think that wraps us up across the narrow scene. And uh, starting way up north, I wanted to talk next about John. Yeah. John has, has been a, a great character. I know one of your favorites so far. We started off with a chapter of him at the feast in Winterfell and kind of exploring his personal struggles with being a bastard, the way that he's excluded from the Stark family on the basis of that. And then he pushes Ned to let him go join the Night's Watch, which he mm-hmm. sees as a place where he can really claim some honor of his own, rise through the ranks despite being a bastard. He travels with Tyrion to go there. Uh, they have a great romance that develops over the course of a couple of chapters. The best of bromances. Yeah. I wish I had a brother that I could have a bromance with. That's rude. <laughs> um, 
but he, he gets to the wall and learns it's not really what he thought he was signing up for. It is a penal colony, really, where they're sending <laughs> criminals uh, for the most part, and uh, and nobody really likes him. The drill sergeant particularly singles him out uh, and, and really goes after him, and he's not given the opportunities he feels like he deserves and is ready for from day one of going and being a hero, being the the big guy in charge. And then the last time we saw him, the most recent time, he was joined uh, by a new noble young lord named Sam Tarley. Sam Wells. Sam Tarley. Who is incredibly fat, really so fat. And they start to develop a friendship there as well. What what have your thoughts been on John? I know he's been one of your one of your highlights so far, I think. Yeah, I, he definitely has been. And I think, too, because I was thinking about it this week when we, when we weren't talking and I was reviewing things. I think that I'm starting to think of characters that we meet. And I don't think it mean this in any definitive way, but I think there are certain characters that are, you know, uh, entrenched in their position and trying to deal with things that way. And other characters who are in a position that doesn't feel right, that they're trying to work with and and and, and deal with. John falls in that latter camp. Uh, Ned Stark would fall in the former camp, right? Like, like Robert, uh, King Robert is somebody in his position, and even Rob Stark is somebody in his position and things. But characters like Bran, Arya, John Stark, even Tyrion to a certain extent, are these characters who are Danny as well, put in positions that aren't really what they feel was right for them. They're trying to navigate, and I, they are sort of coming, rising to the top as characters that I enjoy a little bit more, spending some more time yeah. with. It's really uh, the protagonist view there of, of yeah. you know, they need to go and learn things and develop. Yeah as they move forward, um, which we have not seen necessarily from the older generation, certainly. I'm definitely having a really fun time with John, mostly because his chapters move very fast. And I don't mean that by action in the chapter as much as his development. Every chapter, he seems to start at one place and grow some little bit. He's learning what it means to, you know, even starting earlier than what I was going to say, he got to the wall and had to deal with dreams crushed, right? Like, right. this is not what I was expecting. And then now that he's been there for a little while, he's learning what it means to be a leader amongst the men that are there and and, and a mature leader, not a fantasy leader, not, not the leader of stories, but a leader of what the situation is. It's now extending further. He's more than just a leader. He really is like, and I'm embellishing, right? But like, he's kind of a captain of his troop a little bit. He's not actually officially a captain, but he has people that are following him. listening to him. Yeah, and it's just been really impressive. I am dying to know what direction literally he's about to travel. Well, yeah, Does that's, he... that's yeah, that go ahead. the next question I had for you. Last time we saw him, he was once again pretty hyper-focused on Benjamin mm -hmm. and, uh, and where Benjamin has gone. He's been missing for quite some time now. And you suggested that you thought this was going to be the next stage of John's journey in some way that he was maybe going to run away to go try and be the hero. Right. Uh, I think maybe that was two chapters ago. Has that changed at all? How you're feeling about that as his situation has adjusted at the wall? I don't know. Uh, like it hasn't, it's not that something's changed or hasn't changed as much as like, I'm just hungry to see where it goes. It, I don't think John could do anything right now. And I'm sure that I will get to a point where I'm like, well, I was wrong, but I don't think John could do anything now in the upcoming chapters. Uh, that's going to terribly surprise me. I could see him not going anywhere and staying up at the wall and becoming an even greater leader of the men around him. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see him traveling north of the wall and leading, you know, leading uh, incursions into, you know, where the wildlings are and trying to find Benjamin. I could see him really trying to tear off by himself. Although now that he's building a little more, 
uh, rapport as a leader. You know what I mean? Like, like taking that, that mantle a little bit. I, yeah. I, I'm a little harder pressed. It wouldn't surprise me if he finds a way to get down to King's Landing and just get into the fray of the politics down there. I, I was actually trying to pick my brain a little bit to think about, like, what do I remember about John from the few seasons that I watched on the TV show? And I honestly don't remember almost anything of John. He went to the Night's Watch. He sat on that wall. And I really don't remember seeing him much yeah. at all. Besides that, I don't think I even remember Sam Tarley, period, through season he three. Was, he was definitely there. So oh, well. He wasn't uh, fat enough. <laughs> I guess so. That's uh, that's very reasonable. We can't move off of John though without talking about the the core mystery surrounding him. John Snow's mother, the the absent structuring absence of his plot line. Yeah, uh, we haven't talked about this in a little while because it hasn't yeah. come up as concretely. But uh, I think we need to go back to that mill. We have a couple of names that have been floating around. Uh, we have Ned seemingly uh, using misdirection or lying about it at various times. Mm -hmm. We don't really know what his motives are, what his thought process is. Um, I won't make you make another prediction right now. We've had you do that a couple of times. We'll, we'll wait for some more evidence, but I just want to hear what your thoughts are. Well, actually, I would love for you. Can you remind me who the, I, I, I remember two names being said that have been kicked around. One was the one that was kicked around up in Winterfell for a little bit. Yeah. early on and that That's was ashara dane. ashara dane and then who was the second person that was kicked around the second one was in ned's conversation with robert on the king's road he gave the name lila w right l l a uh we don't know anything else about her or really who she was i, I think they referenced her being lowborn um but so that's the one that ned suggested you know after robert list off a bunch of names that we think were his uh sexual partners rather than Ned's. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't I I guess I want to like stress kind of two parts of this. Like one is I don't think I've really gotten any clearer hints towards the 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 mother John John Johnson's mother. I yeah. uh, I don't feel any clarity about it. I don't think that you know Ned plays it pretty close to the chest and and John clearly just doesn't know. Uh I, you know what I remember from the TV show, from the commercials is, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. But I'll also add that while this mystery continues to exist, there hasn't been a lot of pressure around the mystery. I don't really care who his mom is. Okay. Uh, like, like, like there's nothing, there's nothing about it that would make a difference in my understanding of the situation. As of right now, if like the next chapter started by saying, Jon Snow opened a letter from his mother, so in Ashara Dane, you know, and so so I'm not sure why, like the only reason that I'd be interested in knowing is just because I don't know, not because I think it would, I, I don't really have any reason to think that it's going to be like, you know, Cersei uh, is his mother, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, what? Like, okay. uh, so so I'm not really sure the sort of the, the, the weight and the value of that, that piece of information right now in terms of the storyline. Yeah, it's more character oriented mm. than plot oriented at this stage i mean first of all we the reason why i even mention it as as such a core thing is just the first few chapters while they're up at winterfell are very they bring it up a bunch it's yeah. definitely seeded throughout that um but it means a lot i think for ned obviously in terms mm -hmm. of you know honorable ned stark uh the guy who never indulges pleasures and things like that except for this one time and then the other 
person that it is huge for is obviously John because his his bastardy mm. bastardry is so crucial to his character and how he views himself and how he relates to the world around him. I mean, we saw him snap at it so quickly when the, when he was getting bullied. We saw his reaction back at the feast at the beginning of the book. He just has all of these different contexts where this is top of mind. Uh, and so maybe there is some sort of information from how Ned did this, how Ned caused this thing that will in some way help influence how he thinks about it. I wonder, and I say this really because of this conversation more than that I was thinking about this before, but I do wonder, or rather more than wonder, I think it would be interesting if there's a reveal at some point, and the reveal of that mother is that, you know, basically she's a different side, like she's a Targaryen or something, you know, like, like, and now Jon Snow needs to decide which side he's on, you know, like, like, you know, does he follow the yeah. father who he grew up with, or does he... But I mean, this is such conjecture at this point. I don't, I have no reason to think it would be a Targaryen. I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, that's a good theory of uh, how it could be plot relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through. You know, that makes total sense to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> Cersei is another example of that, although I get what you're saying. I mean, I also think, no, she would have been old enough. Uh, but regardless, I, I get <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> saying these, that, that, that it's not likely. Um, but that all makes sense to me. Those, yeah. those are good thoughts as well. So let's keep wandering geographically unless you have more to add on Jon Snow. Well, the only thing that I want to say, like specifically about ge- geography, is the uh the White Walkers. Oh, yeah. Uh you know, and I think that right it's, it's so funny because there's so much happening and so much political intrigue, and there's Daenerys and the Targaryens across the sea, and there's what's going on in Westeros and all of this stuff, but it's like there continues to be this sort of like like soft hum of a greater problem. Uh, you know, this is something that is present. You know, I can't maybe Benjen was killed by wildlings for all I know, but there is an ominous there, there there's sort of a an om, I don't know what the word ominous? is I'm trying to say. Yeah, an ominous, not ominous. Uh but there's an ominous uh kind of feeling an eerie feeling about what's north of the wall like what is actually going on there not just the wildlings yeah. but but is there something supernatural this greater existential threat to this kingdom uh than they're paying attention to and so it's yeah. i just want to point it out like like they're, the 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 white walkers really aren't mentioned that much they show up quite occasionally uh much more than they have like a real presence but i, I don't want to forget them at all no, absolutely. That's a good reminder. And it also does put so much into context surrounding John's story in terms of the decay of the Night's Watch and uh, this this dramatic irony that we have knowing these things are out there as the characters either don't believe or are only hearing little rumors or little pieces and are, are clearly not prepared to deal with that threat if it were to right. show up tomorrow. Uh, but that brings us to Winterfell, where Bran and Rickon and Rob all currently still are. And Bran has really been our central focus up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we haven't had any Rob points of view, um, but he, of course, has been growing into taking on the role as the Lord of the Castle with Ned down south. Uh, Bran, though, as our, our centerpiece, his story so far has really consisted of he's the the young child, the innocent child who is uh, is really taken up with the stories and the knights in the shining armor. Uh, but then he climbs up the walls of Winterfell and overhears 
Cersei and Jamie talking and having sex and then gets pushed out of the window by Jamie and is paralyzed. He spends uh, probably about half of what we've read so far, if not more, in a coma uh, before finally awaking from that after a seemingly prophetic or, or third eye sight dream that mm-hmm. he has before then. Uh, but then he wakes up and it's it's been fairly mundane him trying to deal with his new disability that he's paralyzed from the waist down uh, and, and and being depressed about that. And that's been his plot line so far in terms of what we've seen from him. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be honest, like, like he's, I want to say this the right way. What I want to say is, yeah, he, yeah, he's been a kind of a boring character, but I don't mean that in terms of his chapters. His chapters are interesting. Right. What he's dealing with and his sort of like self, you know, conceptualization and 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 what it means to be in the situation he's in now i think is really interesting he hasn't done much or gone far by any means right. uh but uh yeah it's 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 funny from from a again a bit of more of a distance from the actual storyline and book for a second like like it's been interesting for me to try to to get comfortable with the the pacing of this novel uh there are some things that seem that that at first seemed really slow to me that I'm now understanding are just sort of methodically told. You know, Bran and Winterfell are not the main crux of this story right now. Perhaps right. they will be in the coming chapters or even coming books. But I'm I'm starting to appreciate the sort of, you know, the 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 not mundanity, but but the 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 deliberate slowness that that there is in this story right now, because we are focused across the sea a bit. We are focused. We're looking at John, Tyrion, and Catelyn. You know, like and what's going mm-hmm. on with them. We're looking at Ned and King Robert, and you know, Littlefinger. There's a lot of stuff in motion right now. I'm comfortable with Bran and the characters at Winterfell kind of being you know slower compared to the others. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And you think about the fantasy genre and fantasy tropes. I mean, this is not your world as much, but the Lord of the Rings really set the standard for so many mm. of these things. And a lot of the books, and this fits into the kind of, you know, the the Campbell monomyth structure mm. too, mm. Uh, for whatever that's worth in 2023. Um, but, you know, you start in the Shire, you start in a quiet place where everything feels like home and is nice. And, and this is what you're fighting for through the rest of the journey. This is what you're trying to save. Uh, and so that's Winterfell for us here. It's where mm-hmm. the family started. It's where we saw Ned being a dad, Ned and Kat's interactions and all of those different things. And, you know, you can really see how it would happen in all of these other books if you had a character still telling a story in the Shire the whole time. And some stuff happens there eventually. Yeah. You have the scouring of the Shire at the end that has to deal with the consequences of what has arrived. But that would be a very different story. Um, I mean, and I mean, there was, I reread the Lord of the Rings a couple of years ago, two, two and a half years ago now. And there is another hobbit who travels with them at the beginning to another place in the Shire and then hangs out there. And we do check back in with him every hmm. once in a while. It's just a little bit more uh, consistent and thorough with brand. And so, yeah, so telling a very different story. I'd say too, that, you know, we were just talking for a second up North and, and even further North up at the wall, uh, about the, the, the white walkers, right. The others, uh, yeah. brand is another embodiment of the sort of fantasy side of this fantasy book, his yeah. prophetic dream, the vision, you know, things like this. We haven't seen that really go anywhere yet. Uh, right. but interesting. I, I'm, Similar to the White Walkers, I don't want to forget it. I I can yeah. only imagine that if it's it's a Chekhov's gun sort of thing, right? Like 
I've seen it. I assume it's going to be used. I think it's also crucial for the themes uh, and, and some of the aspects of that that we've been talking about. Because like we said, we have the White Walkers and people aren't really planning for it, aren't really aware of it because it's this fantastical thing that they're not really believing in. Mm-hmm. And Bran is the centerpiece for so many different types of stories in this world. You have old Nan stories about the White Walkers and these things. And she really feels like kind of an authoritative source to us of old wisdom, of old history and old knowledge. Uh, and we primarily hear from her through Bran. At the same time, the flip side from her is he's all about the tales of the knights and you know the chivalry and chivalric notions the same way that Sansa is. And we've already seen that start to crumble mm-hmm. in that it's one of the shining white Kingsguard who pushes him out the tower and causes his injury and, uh, and starting to see that veil get removed in a similar sense to how it's slowly being removed for Sansa down south as well. So you just have those contrasts between the the mythology and what that can tell us about the real world and how we can translate facts out of it and the stories about the real world and what those are concealing on yeah. the other side. Yeah, no, no, totally agree. Totally agree. So, I mean, I think that really sums us up up there. Uh, like I mentioned, there is some stuff going on in the background where we have the intrigue that Ned and Catelyn are looking into. And Rob was involved in that while Catelyn was still there and seems to be making steps in, in preparation for whatever the next element of this uh, will be. And we haven't seen Cat get in touch with him since she left King's Landing. We haven't heard mm-hmm. about Ned reaching out. So there's a lot of information that probably hasn't reached him yet. Um, but that is some sort of mobilization that's going on there. Right. Which brings us to our our next two main characters, uh, moving another half step south. We have Catelyn and Tyrion in the the east. uh, Well, for one of them. Yes, woo for one of them. Uh, (laughs) One of them is in prison. No, I know you meant woo for Tyrion because you're a Catelyn hater. Catelyn sucks. Uh, (laughs) You're the worst. I'm making t-shirts. Uh, yeah, she's a controversial one. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Catelyn's, and I think you will be too as time goes on. But so they've taken very two very different routes to get here. Uh, going briefly through their plots, Cat started off, of course, up at Winterfell. She stayed behind when Ned went south, uh, and was really catatonic over Bran for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. There, really checked out of the world. Uh, when the plot on Bran's life happened, which we actually didn't mention in context of Bran, because you know he wasn't really around for it right yeah um but when the when the assassin showed up she managed to stop the assassin with the help of Bran's direwolf summer uh and she got treated for the cuts that she got from his dagger was out for a couple of days and woke up really refreshed and, and back at it but realized that she needed to leave rob in charge and go to king's landing to tell ned about this dagger and what she's learned about it uh and get him up to date on everything that was happening there. So she leaves, she goes south, she meets up with Ned and with Littlefinger, and they have the discussion about how the dagger was Tyrion's because Littlefinger uh, lost the dagger to Tyrion, betting on Jamie in mm-hmm. the last tournament. She then leaves with Sir Roderick, but on the road back up to Winterfell, runs into Tyrion, who recognizes her, so she arrests him on the spot and takes him to the Eyrie. Tyrion, meanwhile, uh, came up to Winterfell for the feast, traveled with John to the Wall, where he hung out for a little while, had that romance with John. Uh, got to meet with the head honchos of the Night's Watch, Lord Commander Mormont, uh, Maester Aemon, a couple of the other officers, uh, and really got to know them better. 
and they sent him with a plea for, for more help, which he seems willing to provide and, and is honestly interested in now because he kind of got a sense that maybe there's something out there. He understands why it could be scary. And then on his way back south, he stopped off at Winterfell where Rob really greeted him uh, harshly, though he provided them with a saddle for Bran and then ran into Catelyn and got arrested. So they're out in the Erie now, which we just got introduced to. Catelyn just got there and met up with Lysa. And I want to start off talking about Lysa specifically. What are your thoughts on what's going on with her? Because she did not have the reaction Cat expected. And Cat was also getting warnings from a couple of people as she came in that maybe Lysa isn't all there right now. Um, what what were your first impressions? Well, you know, to even extend it a little bit further, one of the few, if any, interesting characteristics of Catelyn has been her sort of new growth in starting to understand that maybe there's some bias in some of the information that she's getting. Mm -hmm. So the character of Lysa as a character, you know, throughout development in this book, the character has been a name much more than a human throughout our entire experience. And as a name, she is Catelyn's sister, Catelyn, who has her head on her shoulders and thinks logically about things. And as a reader, and I think Catelyn as a sister was really assuming that this is exactly who Lysa is uh, and, and must be. Therefore, information from her is, is gold. You know, information is solid. However, through the things that we've now come to experience, and this extends beyond Lysa completely, right? The fact that Perhaps Littlefinger lied about the knife, as Tyrion pointed out, right? I never bet against my brother. You know, all of a sudden, I think, you know, the Lysa character is awful. And I don't mean that as a character, but Lysa is is falling apart. She has right. retreated into a hole. She is, you know, still breastfeeding her eleven year her six-year-old son or whatever it might be, and and not letting him out of her sight and 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 sort of doting on him while being absolutely terrified and she seems like a wreck and so all of a sudden everything that she's been connected to kind of gets put a little bit into question and part of me wonders just how much is about to come out of actions that were taken based on faulty information you know i think we we can feel confident in fact i we can say for certainty that john aaron was murdered uh, but was it by Cersei as Lysa has, you know, uh, insinuated, is it you know, not more than insinuated? I mean, really set out, right? Like, was it how much of that information questioning that even now? Well, right. Well, I feel like everything has to be put into question at this point. Like right. how much does this go? It really does sound from the conversation Arya overheard between Illyrio and, and our mystery character, right? That, that the assassination on Bran was not part of a larger plan that's in motion you know this additional side thing and and the larger plan seems to include the murder of john aaron assumptions you know my my yeah. what i understand is implication but you know so maybe maybe the lannisters have almost nothing to do with the murder of john aaron maybe right. you know what i mean all of these are maybes okay. at yeah. this point would would lysa be lying does she have her own motivations is she kind of cuckoo like <laughs> where are you coming from on that i think she's just kind of cuckoo at this point okay. i think you know it sounds like and and again i forget the name of the character who is a lot of paranoia from her yeah and yeah. i, I want to stress the the uncle character who yeah. yeah who who walked catelyn kind of to lysa 
reminding Catelyn, like, you know, even though you two are sisters, you have not had the same experience. Lysa has a miscarriage after miscarriage. She is frail and, and, you know, has had a really hard time. Nothing about Lysa in the brief chapter that we've met her in uh, strikes me as motivated to take charge. She seems to just want to burrow away. Yeah. Okay. I think that that seems totally fair. Catelyn and Lysa really present an interesting contrast too, because both of them, uh, and this is, this is important for when we get to the Stark sisters, both of them are fully embedded in that feminine role in Westerosi society, uh, feminine nobility specifically, where, you know, they were married to men from other great houses, uh, really cemented relationships between those, that therefore that kind of, of side of the politics of it, um, but have had directly opposite experiences with that. From Kat, we can really see how the system tells itself it works, I think, in a lot of ways. She got married off for strategic or for, for relational purposes, but really fell in love with the man and found that he was great and has had this wonderful family. And they've, you know, been running things up north and it's all been successful and golden and good, uh, with the one exception of Jon Snow's existence as mm-hmm. she uh, loses her shit. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. Lysa has had the opposite experience. You know, she hasn't been in the home castle uh, that rules everything. She's been in King's Landing where they're not fully in charge. Uh, Her husband was the hand, but there is still the king. Um, And she has had a lot of trouble trying to have kids. We also know John Aaron is older, whereas Ned and Cap seem to be around the same age. And so there's just all of these aspects where she has really been shoved into a situation that uh, was not built for her success there. There's an interesting sort of I don't know if it's a narrative device or just a fact from the the just like like a a, a a truism from the the fact that that books are a linear experience. You know, we started with the Starks, and the Starks are, for lack of a better phrase, around it, they're actually a really happy and, and content family. There seems right. to be a lot of really positive dynamics. From that, we now go and experience other other family existences. And I think, you know, what we're starting to see and that I'm starting to see in this experience is that, you know, there is a political motive between marriages, uh, but it actually seems like the stark marriage, you know, to the, to the Tully uh, is is an, like an odd man out, like a like very much like the the not regular experience for the wife. Lysa comes to mind. Cersei comes to mind as well right. as un, uh, you know, displeased and and I can't help but think about Sansa and her potential marriage to Joffrey. You know, her her betrothal to Joffrey, who you know she's still kind of starry eyed around Joffrey, but we've seen some real nastiness from Joffrey. You know, who knows what that's right. going to be like? And there's no backing that's away from point. the political you know uh, reasonings behind this sort of thing. So, I uh, interesting to just sort of be. Just interesting to reflect on how I was brought into that. You know, Daenerys is also making a good, she's found a way to make something positive out of what really could have been a horrible political marriage uh, for her. And and, and so just interesting to see these these dynamics. Absolutely. So Tyrion is also uh, Mm. not up at the Eyrie yet. He's still down below, uh, lest we saw him. But he's in a, a difficult position here, uh, certainly not as bad as it could have been. He hasn't really been shackled, and he seems to be making some friends in his group. But we did close off that last Catelyn chapter with uh, the young Robert Aaron saying, let's make the bad man fly. Let him fly. 
So, so where are you at on this? You know, how's Tyrion going to get out of this one? <laughs> the it's like a really fair question. I will say that, like, without a doubt, I know Tyrion will get out of this. I uh, okay. I say that because he's in every poster for every season <laughs> of the show. You know what I mean? Like, like it's hard to not yeah. be aware of the realities here. On many occasions before, I have tongue in cheek said maybe that's not the way it goes in the books. On this situation, it's not quite as tongue in cheek. Peter Dinklage is really fucking good. All right, yeah, there's fair. A, there's a world where the TV producers are like, "Let's keep this guy around." All right, I know he dies halfway through book one. Fair, but... fine, yeah, okay. You know what? You're right. Maybe <laughs> Tyrion doesn't make it out of the Eerie alive, and he's only in the first half of the first book. I don't think so, but okay. so be yeah. With that right, said, I I will say though to the question. I don't know how he's going to get out of this. I think that Lysa is out for blood and we are now in Lysa's house. Tyrion's going to have to, I, I think the only way Tyrion can get out of this situation is by peaking the interest of Catelyn into the intrigue around the murder, like the assassination attempt okay. on her son. So Catelyn kind of, see, kind of steps in between him. and. Lysa. I have to assume something along that line. I have to assume that like, he is smart enough and has has understood enough of the situation after his arrest to say, you know, uh, he's going to find a way to use his wit and his his savvy to to basically get somebody who's not on his side at this moment to become on his side and say, no, he holds the key to a greater you know question that that can't be answered without him. Right. OK, that uh, that's an interesting theory. What about the Lannister family? Tyrion thought a lot about, you know, my dad's not going to take this sitting down. We know from Yorin later on that that Tywin got word about this, but we also heard a lot of details about how incredibly impossible it would be to attack the Eerie. Yeah, I think that, you know, part of me thinks that Lysa as a character and by extension, the sort of like area and people who she represents and, you know, it, it, it sounds like there's a faction out there. They all seem really inconsequential to me. From from a standpoint of politics, from a standpoint of implication, I think that if, like, I I can't imagine. What do you mean by that? So what I mean is this: is let's, so so to say it kind of like one step at a time. Tyrion has made it clear through his conversations with us, the reader, that his father is going to make more of a fuss about the Lannister name being taken captive than the than right. than the father saying, "Oh the no, Tyrion." Yeah. With that said, I think that there there's no way there won't be a response to what's now happened against a Lannister. But I think that response, as soon as they realize they're not at Winterfell, they'll figure out they're at the Eyrie and so be it. I don't think it has to be a rust response, and I don't think it would take much to put these people under siege and just hold it and and then let them starve to death. Uh, you know what I mean? Like like I don't think it would take much re many resources from the Lannisters yeah. to do that. And I don't think King Robert in, down in, in King's Landing that's would the other care. Question. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. He might not care. He he probably wouldn't care based on everything we've seen from about the, the specifics of the confrontation, mm -hmm. uh, who was right, who was wrong, and, and all of that. But uh, it is his job as king. You know, there aren't supposed to be these wars between your nobles below you. Uh, mm -hmm. And certainly in history, they cropped up uh, but it was the king's responsibility to kind of keep the realm at peace. Um, at the same time, 
the Lannisters are very heavily embedded in court. So if it comes down to a trial before the king, uh, that could be another tool that Tywin has available to use. Well, 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 Daniel. Let me take this moment to introduce my 30-page paper about why Catelyn is the shittiest, stupidest character (laughs) to be presented in Game of Thrones. I'd like to submit this piece of evidence to the court for them to review. (laughs) Yes, I agree. The king is like should not have his noble squabbling it is hard to not find the person who started this squabble this there is a single person to blame and it's catelyn because she spazzed out at the inn when Tyrion saw her there she did not spaz out she lawfully arrested him in the name of the king yeah he had evidence against him not good evidence okay fine you don't get a conviction you don't get a conviction Uh, Uh uh-huh but she did she approached this the correct way she didn't kill him she didn't i mean it wasn't even a kidnapping yeah that's that's fine but you know what like let's say let's project forward a little bit lysa is now they're over at the eerie and lysa says i'm never gonna let go of Tyrion, even though he's been found not guilty in the court of his peers and now it's a problem and now now it's a war and 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 i think that these are I mean, this has been my 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 bitch fest about Catelyn, right? Like <laughs> she has been bullheaded about this without thinking through where some of these consequences much go, might go. And until she ran back into her sister Lysa, she was really seemed to be under the impression that Lysa was of her own wits, basically, right. which she doesn't seem to be now. Uh, but like, you know, I, I feel like that helps justify Catelyn to a certain degree. Like, it, it, yeah, if she had known how Lysa it excuses her a tiny bit but like I'm just, I'm just saying it with with the full information we have yeah we would have made different decisions but Catelyn didn't have that full information she had the information in front of her yeah but she, she could have her husband as handed a king she had the accusations against Tyrion and the fact that she would get in trouble if people found out she was in King's Landing it would cause huge problems for Ned and she thought Lysa wasn't an incompetent crazy person yeah but I just think there's a there's a significant if not small but very significant difference between not having all the information and thinking you do and not having all the information and thinking you may not have all the information she seemed pretty convicted in the fact that she thought she had all the information and i just think that's she's putting a lot of people at risk here she's putting Tyrion at risk she's putting lysa and her like her, obviously her sister in that whole area at risk she's putting ned at risk and winterfell at risk and i think all for all based on some information that wasn't fully vetted yeah you dumb yeah. idiot catlin yeah uh, uh, knowing what you don't know i think is a very fair criticism the, the Socratic okay. criticism you, you damn straight um, <laughs> that's reasonable was there anything you wanted to add about uh Tyrion and Kat, while we're with some of your favorites. Real quick, and and it's not about either of them. I did want to just point out the bastard girl that we met, who I don't remember her name, Maya Flower or something. Stone. Uh, Because I, again, assume that because she was introduced that she might have something to do, although maybe she's totally inconsequential for all I know. She hasn't done anything besides help Catelyn get up the stairs. Um, And then she does seem... Like interesting, she seems like she could have have an an interesting character to go forward with, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll also say too that that Tyrion Tyrion as a character continues to be an awesome foil against 
some of the confidence in other characters, not necessarily to their faces, but to me as a reader. So he's helping to really flesh out a lot of thoughts and insights about what's going on. And so I'm really excited to see. I've been enjoying his moments. I've been enjoying him with John. I've been enjoying him with Catelyn even. Uh, and I'm excited to see kind of what comes out of this situation, both for him in the situation, right? Like him versus Lysa at this point, but also what comes out of it with his own family. What is, you know, I don't think that any of this will be taken lightly by daddy Lannister, wherever he happens to be. We haven't met him yet, you know, or even Cersei or somebody, you know, like, like, right. You know, he as witty and as insightful as Tyrion seems to be to us, he hasn't really shown up in King's Landing yet. We haven't seen him in yeah. play. Uh, and so I don't really know like how people take what's going on with him. Yeah. And and uh on the family side, I mean, we've had his thoughts about Tywin not having specific love for him. He and Cersei, we know, have a rocky relationship. Mm -hmm. But he and Jamie are are brothers, you know, they love each other. And so maybe uh some of that emotional response that he's saying Tywin will be lacking uh, may come from that direction too. Yeah, although I will remind you that Jamie's line before he shoved Bran out a window, you know, shoved a child out a window is the things I do for love. So, so, uh, you know, Jamie may be team, team Tyrion right up until, you know, maybe Danny's going to come make the bad men, bad people fly. Yeah, exactly. He's done it once. He's done it once. But but yeah, but that's um, all other, I have. Yeah, go ahead. One other thing to pick up on from what you were talking about, just a quick question. Maya Stone, uh, to the extent she ends up relevant and interesting, uh, are, will her parents matter? I mean, our only other bastard example, we've already talked about his parent issues, um, or is she just some random? Well, I will say not the mother. only other bastard that we've been talking, that we've oh, seen, true. but I... I don't know. And similar to what I said earlier about John, right? Like sometimes bastards are just bastards. Yeah. You know, like, 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 I don't know if I'm not ready to commit myself as a reader to thinking that every bastard that I'm about to meet in this book has some different implication based on who a revelation about their family might be. Uh, so maybe, but not we've all very realistic. Yeah. And, and we've only had like four pages with this girl, right? Like, so it's not, I have no idea what's going to happen with her or what her family is and if that matters. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move to King's Landing here uh, and start off with the Stark sisters because they are uh, not totally involved in the mess of things that are going mm -hmm. to go all at once. Um, but we have Sansa, who, like you referenced, has really been focused on her uh, betrothal to Joffrey, the crown prince. Um, she has been spending time in the two chapters we've had with her with him. Uh, the first one, they went on a little adventure on the trip down from Winterfell that ended in Joffrey getting attacked by Arya's direwolf mm -hmm. and then resulted in the little mini trial of Arya and the execution of Sansa's direwolf lady, which was obviously very horrible for her. Mm -hmm. She came out of that really blaming Arya for everything and, uh, and Cersei and the king, uh, but not blaming Joffrey, who the next time she sees him is, is halfway through the tournament. And they have a great dinner together where he's back to gallant, wonderful mm -hmm. hangout time, uh, Joffrey. And Sansa, like we've talked about, is kind of the flip side of the coin with Bran and with stories there where, where we're really seeing her live out a fairy tale, live out the songs that she's heard, the romance stories of the great princess and the brave knight and them running away together. And that's how she's been sorting everything. But like you mentioned, we've seen some real 
cruelty from Joffrey from time to time, some anger, some uh, reactions in that sense. So where where do you think we're headed with Sansa? I know she's not your favorite at the moment. Yeah, but. and and I'll stress too. You know, like like I do want to say there's a difference between say my vitriol against Catelyn and my sort of boredom with Sansa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catelyn, I think, is doing negative things as a character. And I think she's a dummy. Uh, Sansa is not doing anything negative as a character. I I don't think she's terribly interesting in her perspective right now, but so be it. But I will say that I'm starting to get this sneaking suspicion that she is being built up as a character to to go for a great fall. And what I mean by that is, is that she is working so hard to fill the role that she understands herself to like like to to need to be right the betrothed you know to be queen you know basically manners the one who who does what the septa told her exactly but we the reader know and and by extension many characters obviously know that trouble is brewing in the sort of structure that lives here right now Mm -hmm. ned is ready to leave king's landing today you know, he's packing his bags. There's a whole intrigue about what happened. What was John Aaron trying to understand? We have Illyrio and the mystery character talking about a war starting. And we have Catelyn afraid that a war is going to start for a different reason anyway that could really threaten the Starks and Winterfell and all of this. And poor Sansa is like busy trying to like be the queen in waiting. And I don't think she's ever going to get the chance. Uh, I don't think she's going to get. She's not going to be the next queen. Yeah, or are her and Joffrey going to get married? I don't know. Uh, and and so. again, it has it has more to do with like weird, vague memories of the TV show than it has to do with any like implications. Okay. I'm I'm sure that like the levy is going to break at some point, and what I mean by that is that like the war is going to happen, or you know the Starks are going to have to deal with the fallout of whatever's going. I don't know when that's going to be. Okay. You know, the the marriage is set for, I assume, like a few years out or whatever, yeah. uh, as they both like reach of age. But maybe yeah, that's they, how long they, it Robert takes. Robert said that yeah. early, uh, at, right back at the beginning. Uh, Ned was Ned said she's too young. And he said, so what? They'll wait. Yeah, exactly. But so maybe that's how long we have to wait before the levy breaks. And that might be a real thing. I I, I doubt it, but I don't I don't really know. I do assume that she's going to become a, a bit of a tragic figure. <laughs> because of how much she seems to be built up in this very specific direction that I don't think has a lot more time to last with us. Yeah, and I, I think that ties into kind of the character stuff that we were talking about with the story side of things. She's been really looking at the world through these these rose-colored glasses, mm-hmm. the, the gilded armor. It's it's There's the steel underneath, there's the violence underneath that she's kind of uh, willfully ignoring at this point. It's been revealed to her a couple of times and she's putting it in a box and, and trying to avoid it which makes sense at her age uh but if that becomes more and more apparent as the swords get drawn uh that's going to be harder and harder for her to avoid yeah the other stark girl of course is Arya, uh who is everything sansa is not she is tomboyish uh really doesn't want to be a lady she's interested in running around and hanging out with the peasant boys and going exploring and getting dirty and uh learning to fight now um she also started at winterfell with family traveled to king's landing with ned we had spent some time with her and her friends there uh she was practicing 
sword fighting with Micah the Butcher's Boy when Joffrey and Sansa showed up that caused that whole confrontation and resulted in Micah dying, uh, being killed by the Hound, and Arya's direwolf Nymeria being scared away. Uh, she had to, to throw stones at her to get her to leave. Uh, and then they arrived at King's Landing. Ned talked to her. She was feeling very depressed about the whole context and about causing Micah's death, and it came out what they were doing. So he set her up with Sirio Farrell, her dancing master, mm -hmm. who has been teaching her how to use a sword in the style of the Bravo Sea. Uh, and that brought us to this last chapter that we've talked about quite a bit here, where she was out catching cats as part of her training, ended up stumbling upon this conversation between Illyrio and a mystery person in secret passageways, overheard everything to them, but did not understand any of it, and then tried to tell Ned what she remembered, but he didn't really believe her. So that's that's where we're at with Arya. Arya's chapters so far have been much more focused, our discussion on them has been up until this last one, has been much more focused on kind of some theme aspects. We've talked a lot, of course, about her gender dynamics. I think there's been an interesting place where she has a, a class perspective there, too. Obviously, as a child, small child, she would not be thinking of it in that sense. But she's been our only person really interacting that we've seen with not nobility and the lowborn, which has been interesting as well. Mm -hmm. What have your thoughts been on, on Arya? Arya has been a fun character to kind of like play with and to watch play and go through things. I uh, like, especially like take by contrast with Sansa, right? Sansa is kind of boring and just in the sense that she's trying to fulfill a very kind of boring role, at least to me, I'm not that interested in, in, in that as a character development, whereas Arya is that tomboy and, and has been a lot of fun. I will say though, that the thing that is making Arya very interesting, isn't Arya for me right now. It's Sirio Pharrell. I, uh, I am very like, like like i guess what i mean to say is that that aria hasn't really done much she's been at the situations that have happened you know you talked about the right. butcher's boy you talk about you know that we, we've been talking about this you know illyrio and, and the mystery character and overhearing it but she hasn't she doesn't really have her own storyline yet she's just has been part of some some heavy events right. uh that said Cyril pharrell has become this big mystery character to me he seems to have an agenda of some kind. He doesn't seem yeah. to be normal. He and even like Ned is feeling this way too. This this man's why is she chasing cats? Why is she, you know, right. balancing on her one foot on on the edge of the stairs or whatever it is? And just I have a, a feeling, and that's all I can say about it. And I and I I want to give credit to George R. R. Martin on this. I think that Cyril Pharrell has been written into Arya's life in a way that for me as the reader. It's not something that's ignored. You know whose name I don't remember? The Master of Arms from Winterfell, uh, who was there training, you know, the kids when they were all up there. When when that's Sir Roger. Yeah. But all I mean is that he could easily for Pharrell, Sirio Pharrell could easily be a character as bland as that as as right. Sir Roderick, you know, it, who's who's been around, right? Like I yeah. I it's it's he's with Catelyn, he's going through lots of stuff, but but I don't remember him as that training person. This this character could have been a nothing character. It's not. I'm very curious about who this is and learning more about him. Yeah, we kind of have a consistent pattern here too with the Stark children, where people are our, our point of view. Stark children are unfolding patterns right now. We're learning more about them. We've got a lot of buildup of of things that point towards an explosion in the near term future. You know, so you have John at the wall with the crisis that's going on there. Uh, you have 
uh, well, not the crisis, but with Benjamin and, and the issues surrounding that with his leadership qualities. We have Brand with these kind of mystical powers that are going on. Uh, Sansa, as you were saying, seems to be set up as this tragic figure. And then Arya with learning these skills, coming into more of her own, working with Sirio Pharrell. Uh, and we seem to be waiting for the next step for all of these, for them to take that plunge into uh, being a force driving story forward. Whereas right now they're they're not exactly the characters in charge of doing that. I agree. And I'll go back to 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 something I said earlier. You know about Bran and and how there's not much happening at Winterfell per se. I'm actually and and it's funny because we are really halfway through this book right now. You know, book one, Game of Thrones. I'm it's I'm it's really right around now that I've really become comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. The story is flowing forward. Not every character is part of that 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 push of you know at that place in the river. That's moving quickly now. And I'm becoming okay with that. Arya, Pharrell, and these situations might be chapters and chapters away from really becoming something if they do. Uh, but so be it. And, and I'm excited, you know, just because it's not happening in the immediate doesn't mean it's not interesting and fun to see these things. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to really what has been the central moving force of the plot so far, which is Ned and the intrigue surrounding him. Mm-hmm. We ha- we've had eight Ned chapters so far. I don't think anybody else is above like five. He mm-hmm. has been the main thrust. Uh, the story starts off with him uh, hosting Robert at Winterfell. Robert asks him to come south and be hand of the king to take over for the recently deceased John Aaron. Uh, and also proposed the betrothal between Sansa and Joffrey that we were discuss- just discussing. Ned debates it, doesn't really want to do it, but ultimately decides to after Cat pushes him into it because she receives a note from Lysa saying that John Aaron was murdered specifically by Cersei Lannister. He then goes south with Robert, starts to get involved in small council business, learns that Robert has really been a pretty absent king in terms of the stuff he's supposed to be in charge of, is mostly just focused on fun, meets the other members of the council who we'll talk about in the near future as, as we get into what they're up to, and uh, starts investigating the circumstances around John Aaron's murder and also the attempted murder on Bran's life. So far, what we have him having come across, he uh, has followed in the steps of John Aaron and what John Aaron was doing uh, it turns out, with Stannis Baratheon, Robert's younger brother, mm-hmm. towards the end of his life. And in doing that, he found uh, John Aaron was reading a book about the lineages of various houses, a hundred-year-old book about, you know, who married who and what who their kids were and, and what everybody looked like and, and how they acted. Uh, and he also found a bastard son of Robert's uh, named Gendry, who's working at one of the blacksmiths in King's Landing. And then he also had uh, a very interesting conversation with Varys towards the end of this, um, where Varys told him, yes, John Aaron was murdered. He was poisoned with the tears of Lys, uh, which is this fancy poison. Um, we don't know what Varys's motivations are. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, you know, but that's just another piece of the evidence. Uh, he has also been trying to find a brothel that John Aaron and Stannis went to, which seems out of character for both of them. Mm-hmm. And his last chapter really wrapped up Littlefinger saying, I can bring you there. And that interrupts his attempt to get out of King's Landing. Um, and that's really the last part of the story is he and Robert have now had a falling out where 
they argued over the assassination of Daenerys, and mm-hmm. Ned resigned the position of Hand of the King and was about to leave, but is instead going to go investigate this brothel with Peter Baelish. So, you know, let's start with the John Aaron stuff. What is that mystery? What is he? What was John Aaron investigating? What is Ned now investigating? Uh, where is your mind at on these things? Yeah, Dan, that's a great question. And to my that question, I'll ask you another. What the fuck? What the fuck <laughs> is going on? I don't okay. know. So I mean, you've had some theories. Th- no, and and that's fine. And I I I know I'm I'm overstating it. But but the truth is is that for every I I was talking about this an episode or two ago. There's a part of me that thinks that for the pages that we've read, the 300 pages or whatever that we're at right now, uh that there are enough clues for me as a reader to pull some conclusions together. I can say strongly right now, I have none of those and I can't figure out what the clues are that I should be pulling together. Um, It is a fascinating mystery, but I think similar to how I'm, I think Ned is feeling, I'm getting a little frustrated with dead ends and intrigue and fuck it. Let's go home. I, so you know what I mean? So, So it's just like, like, there's a book that he found, you know, there's mm-hmm. all, all the stuff that you just said, the brothel, we know about the bastard child who's working at the, you know, the, the blacksmithy or whatever. Okay. What, sure. what does yeah. all of it mean? Like, where's it going? I don't know. I can't put a finger on it. And the only person who does seem to like, like th- there's all these other characters who seem to be giving information through the negative. Baelish saying, you know, who who seems to always pop up at the weirdest of moments saying, I'll give you another clue. Come follow me. Varys with what he was talking. I have no freaking clue yeah. what the heck is going on with this mystery. Okay. I mean, you have in the past said that this seems to have something to do with uh, the Baratheon children mm-hmm. and uh, the, the lineage, the uh, line of successions we're looking for surrounding the throne. Uh, but you can't quite tie the evidence together there. We've certainly had those debates before. And, and I can, I can, yeah, and I can be more specific about it too. But, but I think that, you know, what it comes down to is I don't get what the problem is. John Aaron and Stannis Baratheon seem to have discovered a thing. And this thing put a target on their backs. And this thing seemed to make implications about potentially lineage or right to the throne or something I, I i don't know and we've talked about it before it can't be right to the throne because they king robert baratheon won the throne himself you know he right. he wasn't born into it could it be his 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 offspring well no we know that bastards don't get right to the throne even right. so we met his bastard this is all oh i feel like it's like right there in front of me and i can't put my hands around it but without like there seems to be a lot of like smoking guns like laying all over the place and no dead bodies aside from John Aaron's but he doesn't matter like he's like maybe he discovered a dead body somewhere like yeah i don't no, get, I get what, you- what the problem is <laughs> yeah okay uh did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with ned before we move on to some of the other players in king's landing nope not about ned i uh, i'm definitely like we we we've we've paused to have this conversation at an interesting moment He's trying to leave King's Landing quick. He wants to go talk to Stannis, but he's being pulled back into some of this intrigue through Littlefinger. So I don't I'll I'll be interested to see if he does sneak away or if he sticks it out in King's Landing for a while longer. Yeah. 
Okay, that, that makes total sense. So, so let's make our way around, you know, some of the other people playing this game. We have obviously King Robert. King Robert seems primarily interested in getting drunk and sleeping with whores and ignoring his royal duties and royal responsibilities. Um, and that seems pretty straightforwardly his motives here. Mm -hmm. But we do have some interesting stuff below the surface with him in terms of how he's really obsessed with Lyanna and this loss from his past and really how the entire rebellion was wrapped up in her and in her loss to him uh, and her eventual death. And how he doesn't seem to be able to get past that at all and and move on into this new stage of his life with Cersei mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the marriage, but also in terms of ruling and taking on that responsibility seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he seems, and I don't mean this in any like super cynical or negative way, but pretty one-dimensional about like his needs, desires, and wants. He kind of also, in, in kind of a funny and, and very gender-reversed role, uh, seems very similar to Sansa. Uh, someone who wants to believe in the stories and wants to be a character and player in the stories. And he doesn't want to be a politician, which is kind of the extension of where these stories go. Um, He's almost like a, like a, a curdled traumatized version of adult brand, you mm, know, the specific mm -hmm. stories in question, but he wants to be the marshal hero. You know, you can really see, I, I think, I don't think he says it outright, but he would have loved to have died in glory on mm -hmm. the battlefield uh, during the rebellion surrounded by the 30 men he killed before they finally took him down. You know, that's the story he wants to be in. And now he's stuck on the other side of it where other people died, people he cared about died, but he didn't get to go out that way. And now he's stuck just getting old, uh, which is his worst nightmare. Um, 100%. I do. The, yeah. Well, I, the only thing that I wanted to add here is that I think it was our last conversation that I don't remember who it was that brought it up, if it was you or if it was me, but with, with the instability of Lysa's testimony to her sister through the letter, mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's an interesting, not directly connected to Lysa, but, but there's an interesting question of what is Robert's role in potentially the murder of like, like is Robert still the doting sort of foster child Right. Uh, to John Aaron as Ned thinks that he is. Oh, it was Ned that brought this up as a thought. Basically, maybe maybe th this intrigue, this mystery goes to the top, goes to the crown itself and the man who wears it. You yeah, know, is is Robert Baratheon still the friend and, and human that Ned knew him to be? Or is he more of a Lannister type character now? Is he more sort of embedded with that, with that tribe and, and their needs and wants potentially? And and I don't know, and there's no reason to think about it one way or another. He seems easily manipulated going back to the tourney and wanting to fight in the melee and stuff. But like, other yeah, than that, straightforward. There's definitely some way that he is implicated in this because of the bastards. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not totally clear what that would be. From the other perspective, though, I will say, I, I do think it's notable that he seems to think of himself and Ned thinks of him as a blunt instrument. Uh, you know, he's certainly been in court where everybody's been playing these games around him. He's been surrounded by Lannisters and all this stuff. And I can see how that would push him in that direction, but it doesn't even seem like maybe he has aptitude for it or, or is inclined in that direction. 
uh, as compared to just kind of being a, a violent weapon. So that does cut against it to some degree. Mm, true, fair. So surrounding him, we have what seems to be shaping into a few factions of the people who are more playing this game or who we have more evidence of them playing this game. And we'll, we can start with the Lannister faction, which so far has really seemed to be Cersei and Jaime together. Uh, we know that they've been sleeping together. Bran caught them. Uh, mm -hmm. That seems to have been an ongoing thing. Uh, they are obviously implicated in the murder of John Aaron through Lysa. They are implicated in the murder attempt on Bran through uh, Tyrion and Littlefinger and, and that story there. Uh, we also had a conversation where they talked specifically about John Aaron and Lysa and being worried about them uh, and also being worried about Ned and, uh, and those various considerations. And then we have uh, this indication from Varys later on that Cersei has been trying to make a move to kill Robert. Hmm. So what's their motivations? What are they trying to do? How much do you believe with these third-party sources talking about them? I don't know. Uh, the I know you and I have talked about different sort of perspectives about this for a while. I really believed for a long time that the the dead body that John Aaron found had to do with why Lannisters shouldn't maintain control somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that reason, that would make the Lannisters interested in silencing those who would know that and killing John Aaron or whatever that might be. I'm not sure if I believe that anymore. I don't know if this injury goes over to the Lannisters anymore. They, the, the Lannisters, to be quite honest, they are the stablest family across this entire novel so far. They're they're looking for power. They're awesome politicians. Uh, they seem to have like they, they know what they're doing, like kind of financially, if you will, and and making sure that they're controlling the right strongholds. They're getting their family members into positions with you know royalty and things. I feel like like they could give like a clinic about how to do it right in King's Landing and. And it would be a, a big hit. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm I'm actually a little confused. These people who seem to be cast as the the enemies and horrors as they were up at Winterfell and as they were being looked at by Starks now seem to be a lot more stable than the Starks and the Baratheons and everything else that's going on. So well, they can they can both be bad and competent. You know, oh like sure, those two things are not incompatible. I, and they're not they're not invited to my birthday party. Like they're not right. people I'd want to be friends with, to be quite honest. But <laughs> I could say the same about a lot of politicians. So like, yeah, that is very, you know, fair. Uh, it does make me wonder though. I mean, you're talking about them being good at this. So why, if they have done these things, why make these moves and, and put themselves at risk and, and kind of expose them? Like what's the potential gain here from the murder of John Aaron, from the attempt on Bran, from the attempts on Robert in particular, I think would as the most important one. The only thing that comes to mind and i can't imagine this is the reality of it but maybe they're trying to like targaryen and it it like we're going to control the throne and we're just going to screw each other and make babies that way <laughs> okay uh yeah i mean maybe uh i don't think so be trying to cover their tracks there. that's true it doesn't seem uh, like they're bragging about that yeah, at least they seem to be aware that people might take that weirdly. Um, I mean, we don't know how the Targaryens got away with it for, for all that time, but 
but uh, it doesn't seem like the Lannisters have the same ability. I'll um, add though that this is there, there's actually like a good amount of confusion that comes out of this for me. They seem to be in a really good position. Things seem to be going the right way. I wonder if the the actions are not Lannister actions, but say Cersei and Jaime actions. You know, if there's almost like factions within this Lannister faction. So, mm-hmm. you know, you'd even brought up a few times, like, like, what if, and I can't remember the the kid's name, the 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 youngest brother of the Baratheons trying to introduce the Lady right. of Flowers, yeah. you know, and maybe there's a desire to replace Cersei off the throne, and maybe that would mean her death and things. Maybe she's concerned for her own well-being or what her political stature will be. But I don't know. They really seem to be in a good place. I'm surprised that Cersei doesn't let King Baratheon like have sex with her more to keep even more firmly, you know, maintain that position, if you will, uh, right. by giving what he what he seems to hold so dear. But I I don't know. Yeah. A little bit of confusion. I mean, she's here. expressed a lot of disdain for him in sure. in the comments we've seen so far. So uh, there is certainly a personal reason to not mm-hmm. want to sleep with the fat drunk guy uh, who's there. You d- who you don't like uh, also fair <laughs> but uh but putting that aside i, I don't putting that aside i wanted to talk about renly next uh which i think is is a good place jumping off point for that we have not gotten to know him super well but cersei on multiple occasions has mentioned being worried about both of the baratheon brothers so we're going to talk about them in turn because you know they're around the court they are certainly doing their own things, and it's not 100% clear what those things are. But we got some insights from the conversation that Arya overheard that Renly has potentially been trying to get uh, the Tyrell daughter into Robert's bed and have her be the next queen. Uh, And just as a reminder, we have not met the Tyrells. We've seen the Knight of the Flowers a number of times. He's been very successful at the tournament. But as a house, they are, uh, you know, on par with the Starks and Lannisters. They control an area called the Reach, uh, but they don't seem to be around court very much, which I, I think is notable, unlike these, you know, the Aarons, the Starks, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Baratheons and Lannisters, obviously. So, you know, did you buy that story? Did that check out to you? And, and if that's going on, why is Ren, what is Renly doing here? Like, what's, what's his plan? Well, I don't know, but it sounded like it wasn't just individually Renly that there was like I think one other person mentioned like in trying to bring this Lady of Flowers kind of the in- Knight of the Flowers oh. writing. Yeah, Loris Tyrell was writing to his mm. dad, uh, right. saying send send my sister to court, uh, and, and so his dad being the the Lord that's in charge of this region. But I do wonder, I, you know, I, I do think going back to what I was saying earlier about sort of the the methodical nature of how this story is being told, I wonder if. Like, it feels like we're far into this book. We're halfway through this book, which is a solid amount of places to be. But this is a like a seven or ten book series or whatever it might be. Like, Five right now. Presumably seven someday. We'll see. But what I mean by that is, is that part of me thinks that my frustration of not understanding what might be going on in some of these situations might not be because I haven't understood it, but because it has yet to, to bloom. Uh, I wonder if we're being set up for kind of a big bang situation. We're seeing a lot happening with this tiny, tiny bit of people. Here's right. the Starks. Here's the Baratheons. Here's the Lannisters. But that 
it won't be long for this big bang to happen. And all of a sudden, these families that have been mentioned a little bit become much bigger players. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, like 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 the 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 flowers girl or whatever the family and the the all of this now starts to become like, whoa, there's these other needs and, and characters. But at this point, I don't know. Uh, no. I have no, no idea why Remy would want to introduce that girl. And I think you're thinking about the way this story works in the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is a good point to remind you as somebody who doesn't look at the map that there are regions that we just don't really hear from and we don't really hear about very much mm. still, uh, specifically two and a half, uh, which with the Reach, which is the Tyrells, Dorne, which is the far th south. Uh, and we know that they were involved with the Targaryen royal family. So it would make sense that they're not really around the palace intrigues into the Baratheon regime. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Iron Islands, where Theon is from, we, we have not heard a ton about anything going on there. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, they recently rebelled against Robert and were put down. So again, it makes sense that they would not be around court and the, the, the levers of power. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that there are, you know, these kind of out of power, out of service factions that are involved, uh, that are kind of around the periphery for now and may rise and fall as we move forward. Right. So let's, uh, switch over to the other Baratheon brother who we actually have not met yet. We've just mm -hmm. heard a lot about, and that is Stannis Baratheon. Man Stannis of mystery. Is the middle of the Baratheon children, which puts him uh, third in the line of succession behind Joffrey and Tommen as well. Um, so he, we know, is out at Dragonstone. After John Aaron died, he left the city and went back to his seat, which is this island off the coast, fairly close to King's Landing. Uh, it was also the historical seat of the Targaryens. Um, but we know that he and John Aaron were kind of in lockstep on whatever it is that John Aaron was doing. And the last thing that we heard, again, from Arya's overhearing conversation was that he's been gathering soldiers as has mm -hmm. Lisa Aaron. Uh, any thoughts on on what he's trying to do, um, what he and John Aaron were trying to do, or you know, we already touched on that obviously to some yeah. degree. But what's what's going on with Stannis? Well again, I think like in going back to what we've already talked about, right? Like there's just Stannis as a character has more information than I do. Uh and I think like there's almost Knowing that makes me take a little more note of what he's doing. He's collecting mm -hmm. so like something is about to happen. Right. There, we know it from that conversation Arya overheard. We know it from the fact that Stannis is building an army. We know it from the fact that uh, you know, well, some other fact that would make sense if I was going to put it in here. But <laughs> a third thing, a third thing. Uh, but what I mean to say is that like I, I don't know. I just, um, Nothing's changed since 10 minutes ago when I was saying I didn't know when yeah, we talked right. about Ned and, and John Aaron and all of that. But I'm I'm hopeful that Ned leaves King's Landing, if only to go visit Stannis, and we can meet him and get a, a some type of insight and understanding to what he might know. Yeah, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? It would be very helpful, uh, Dan. So moving along around the table, uh, the next one I want to talk about is Lord Varys, who is the spymaster. And we've only just really started to interact with him in a serious manner. We met him uh, first through Kat because he knew that she was in the city uh, and, and people reported on that fact to him. So he and Baelish went to go talk or brought her to them to talk to her uh, about the dagger and about that attempt. And then the only other time we've really seen him make any significant impact is he showed up to Ned's apartment, Ned's rooms, I guess is the word they would use. Right. Uh, 
<laughs> in disguise and coming through a trap door uh, pretty much to talk with Ned about the fact that Cersei had made a move on the king to inform him that John Aaron was murdered and specifically murdered for asking questions, uh, but he did not deign to clarify what that meant. And he tells Ned that, you know, he thinks they should work together because they both are serious men who care about the realm, care about taking care of, of the people and, and about doing the right thing. So, you know, what's your impression of him uh, as a character? How much can we take at face value of what he's saying about his motivations or the information that he's providing? You know, it's funny, but I'm going to actually group him with the rest of the King's Council. Like, all of them seem to have their own agenda, and I don't have much insight into how any of that agenda might be. You know, many of them seem to have come from long before Baratheon rule and were actually served Targaryens. You know, me, yeah. many of them seem to so be that's in, notable with Varys. Yeah, yeah, very He's much one so. Of those handful of examples alongside uh, Maester Pycelle and Barristan Selmy, who I'm leaving off this list because they both kind of seem a little a little more uh, quiet characters, but if you have any thoughts on them, feel free to share them too. Well, that's the thing is that I have as much thoughts on them as I do on Baelish also, right? Like okay. like Littlefinger, like these are all characters who some refer to more than others and say Varys or say Littlefinger or whatever it might be, but I don't have any firm sense about what the motivations might be or they definitely know more than they've shared, mm -hmm. uh, but why they're sharing what they are sharing, why they you know, what they're trying to get from anything here is, is still, I'm kind of at a loss. Okay, that, that makes sense. But I was going to close on Baelish, so we're going to linger on this, because he has been more in our life than anybody else on the small council. I think you've had more exposure to him, so I, I want to hear those thoughts there. He has some background with the Tullys. Uh, he has some background with the Tullys, with Cat and Lysa. He spent some time fostering uh, with them, and they grew up together. And um, they spent some time growing up together. He is now in King's Landing. He is the master of coin and has clearly done very, very well for himself and made a ton of money. Uh, but he's been helping out Ned uh, with the investigation into John Aaron's death at Catelyn's request. He is the one who told her that it was Tyrion's dagger, though, mm -hmm. which you seem to be starting to have doubts about. Um, and then he also just recently revealed to Ned that he had at some point in the past figured out the brothel Ned was looking for. Uh, and mm -hmm. potentially you were saying using that as a way to keep Ned in King's Landing longer. So I know you just said you don't have thoughts on his motivations. Um, but let's start somewhere a little easier. How how far do you think Ned should be trusting this guy? Is he actually working for the same purpose? Well, it's hard. It's hard to. Well, I would definitely say no. Like like without a doubt, I don't think they have the same purpose in mind at all. Like his information seems to be valid so far. He keeps offering insights that seem relevant and and positive for what Ned's looking for. That said, he doesn't seem to be offering everything all at once. Uh, and he also seems to be incredibly self-serving. So I don't think he should be trusted very much at all, but I wouldn't doubt the validity of the information that he's trying to pass forward too much. Uh, but again, it's hard to it's hard to judge something without having any sense of what the motivation is. Like, I don't think that Baelish wants to be king. Baelish seems like he's in a really good position. Why would he want to stir the pot at all about what the situation is? 
What could he possibly gain more from? Maybe he has some types of intention somewhere. I don't think he's trying to, I don't think he assumes that Catelyn would marry him if Ned was out of the picture. So I don't think there's any like threat to Ned's life out of some manly jealousy. You know what I mean? Like macho jealousy like that. So I'm I'm a little, yeah, go ahead. Here that we have a story from his youth that he was in love with Cat. And when she got betrothed to Brandon Stark, uh, challenged Brandon for her hand and got his ass kicked, it seems. Um, And so that was, you know, when he was much younger, that was the last time Kat saw him also. But that seems to be be pretty um, foundational to this character. We've heard about it from a couple of sources, come up a bunch of times. Yeah, but it also seems to be like 17 years ago at this point or 15 years ago, like like foundational sure but not recent right okay so yeah i don't i don't know i'm i'm very curious about motivations at this point i don't understand the only people whose motivation really makes sense to me is is uh illyrio and his mystery friend they mm-hmm. they are want to make a move to grasp more power somewhere and they're going to do it through some type of war slash uprising of some sort and, and uh, i i can sink danny and the dothraki over to Exactly. Of the chaos. All, all of that I can sink my teeth into. What little fingers trying to get out of something? I have no idea. You know what? What mm-hmm. Varus is? I really well, couldn't tell. A good you. Company there because everybody keeps saying <laughs> no one knows uh, what little, the heck he's little saying. fingers. Is, yeah, what the hell's he up to? So, right. Exactly. All right. Well, I, I think that covered everybody I was trying to talk about. Did you have any final thoughts on where we've been or where we're headed? I think, you know, the big thing that I just want to stress is that sort of big bang statement that I said, everything seems to be coming together to sort of like be in the perfect uh, powder keg situation. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be lit and I don't know what will happen once it blows apart. But I, 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 there is a sense of doom upon these characters right now. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, uh, as we keep moving through this book and the chapters get a little denser, and the, the action speeds up, we're going to be doing two or maybe even sometimes one chapter much more often than we have been in the past. And next week, we will be doing two. Uh, so the next ones that are coming up are Ned 9 and Danny 4. We're finally going back to her for the first time in a little while. Let's go! That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing two chapters, A Game of Thrones, Ned 9 and Danny 4. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast, sharing it with others, and following us on Twitter, at Bros with Banners. Come give us feedback. Let us know your thoughts on Michael's latest theory or our, our latest episode. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs>